0: Take for granted the heritage of holiness
1: that has been
0: passed on I don't lose welcome to convention pulpit wesleyan voices past and present brought to you through the ministry of inner church holiness convention visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry www.ihconvention.com
1: Virginia Miller and Ethel Mcfadden traveled in evangelism up and down the country for almost 50 years, spreading
0: the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This sermon was preached at Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hope Sound, Florida by Virginia Miller in 1981. It's titled, Leaven.
1: I know you'll enjoy this message. young, and it would be an awful thing to get old. Do you know, I find there's lots of compensations. We can do the silliest things, most stupid things, forget necessary things over and over, and people just smile and shrug and (laughs) say, well, you know, they're old. And to make it worse, they say, (laughs) you know, they're old maids. And they don't expect too much from us. Now, this afternoon we'd like to do a rerun. A lot of you have heard this before, but I'm going to stand on my advancing years and take um, the liberty of preaching over again, something that some of you have heard. Now, if you do get sleepy, don't do what the brother just instructed you to do. Because if you all stand up on one foot, the meeting will be over. The Lord's going to help us. We don't care if you do sleep. Go ahead if you're sleepy. Just don't make any noise about it. Now, if you have your Bibles turn with me to the gospel according to st. Matthew can you all hear me back there in the back if you can put your hand up and wiggle at me good the gospel according to st. Matthew chapter 13 from this chapter we are going to lift just one verse and that is verse 33 the kingdom of heaven Is like unto leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened now I wasn't raised in the holiness church in fact didn't know there was such a thing in the world until I was in my late teens and I was taught different doctrine than most of you have been taught one of the things that was drilled into me as a child in the church was the fact that leaven was very, very good. That uh, the leaven of the gospel was going to permeate the world and usher in a worldwide revival. Things were going to get better and better until we would have a second golden age. And I believed it because I had been taught it. Until I found the Lord and began to read the Bible for myself and was very much surprised to find out that if the Bible is right, leaven is not good. Now don't back up on me until I'm through, will you? Because I've been in some uh, holiness Sunday schools and listened to preachers, holiness preachers teaching, and they were teaching that same thing. Do you think the world's getting better and better do you think the standards are any higher than they should be in the world something's wrong somewhere and as i began to read through the old testament i found again and again references to 11 and in every instance but one they were very very bad it was not accounted as something good Do you remember the first Passover and the Jew of course still carries it down through today they were to look through their houses and find the last little bit of leaven and get rid of it under penalty of death when it came to the blood offering the meat offering the sacrifices no leaven was to be offered with them God does not want leaven now Jesus is speaking to some of his disciples in Matthew 16 and 11 and he said to them beware of the leaven Now, when I read that I wanted to find out what the leaven was concerning which Jesus was speaking and I found first of all in this very verse that I just quoted Matthew 16 and 11 that it is the Leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now what's the leaven of the Pharisee? The Pharisee was an externalist in his religion. Everything he had was on the outside. Now, I think you've known me well enough and long enough to know that I believe in old-fashioned scriptural plainness for men as well as women. Isn't that refreshing once in a while to hear somebody say, a man ought to be plain as well as a woman? (laughs) It is to me. I've been raked up one side and down the other side until I didn't know whether I was a foot of horseback, and I was sitting beside somebody with a long dandruffy oily greasy hair cut hanging halfway down his back and high-heeled shoes and nobody said a word about that but what sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander that isn't in the bible but it's bible truth you know and the pharisees religion was one of externals Oh, they were a plain people. In fact, they had been raised up in the beginning to be a plain people. They were to preserve the all time religion. And so they dressed according to all time religious standards. But you know what was wrong? There was something wrong inside. And if you go out this afternoon and say that I preached against plainness, I wouldn't even try to deal with you you need somebody bigger than i to take care of you because i am absolutely for old-fashioned holiness standards there's nothing else beloved if we're going to go with god but if all i have to go to heaven is the knob on the back of my head and my long sleeves and my skirt then I'm pretty barren spiritually. Now, Jesus never pointed a finger at their robes. He was speaking about what they carried in their heart. I have been around the holiness movement now for a little over 50 years, and I have discovered to the sorrow of my heart that there are those who look like angels from heaven, He'll have a tongue like a darting serpent. I have been around long enough to say to myself, now this group is a real old fashioned holiness group, only to find within their midst, coming and emanating from their heart and their soul, hatred and envy and jealousy and quarreling. Now you know I'm telling you the truth. Now you can do all that and not look like a saint. But when people aren't saints and look as though they aren't saints, we don't expect too much from them, do we? We expect them to act the way they look. But when you see somebody who looks like a saint, you expect them to act and react like a saint, don't you? I do. And what Jesus was warning his people against was, beware of this outside holiness that never gets inside. Now you say you don't believe in stripping, Sister Miller. Well, I'll declare I do. I remember the first time I ever met the old-time Wesleyan Methodist. They had started a church in the city of Boston, and I was of the world worldly traveling with a young group my own age, knew nothing at all about this. Went in to have a good time and make fun of those folks who used to jump and yell and holler and run the aisles. Can you remember those days? How many of you can remember those days? They were good days. They were good days. And there was so much life and so much happiness and so much vivacity among them that we went back to see what was taking place. Well, what makes them act this way? And you know what happened? We were caught. We hung around too long. And then we landed at the altar, looking just like the flappers way back there in the 1920s. You wouldn't admit you were that old. I can't help it. (laughs) But we landed down there at the altar we had, I remember I had a brown hat on with an orange feather. <laughs> Beautiful, I just loved that. It trailed down around the hat and curled on my shoulder. And then my hair was cut in the very latest hairstyle and there was two things came out here. Do you remember that? How many of you that old? Uh-huh. And that was before the days of the mini skirts, but I had a short one on because they wore them up to their knees then, very daring with a slit in either side, and black stockings, not nylon, silks, with clocks on each ankle. I'm surprised some of you can remember that. You don't look that old. And then we had high, 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 spike heels. From our ankles down, we looked like the holiness girls do today. Oh, wasn't that mean? It really was, but wasn't it the truth? The only difference, we had the high heels, but we had something in the front. Because we had old fashioned fathers back there 50 or 60 years ago, and they wouldn't pay for a pair of shoes that had half of it left off. So we had front, Fronts in our shoes and the high heels. And we went to the altar looking like that and everything else that went with it, you know. And the first thing they did was get down beside me. Now, can you imagine these were Wesleyan Methodists? And they said to me, you've got to get rid of that feather. And somebody else poked me in the ribs on the other side and says, you've got to put some length on your skirts. And I said to myself, they're all a bunch of N-U-T-S. Can you spell out the word? And I thought so. But there was something about those old-fashioned meetings that went beyond that. And I found that I was hooked. And hooks so good, I couldn't stay away. And finally I said, now, if this is what it's going to mean to have what they have and feel what they say they feel, here goes the feather, and here goes the high spikes. Took a little long to get any answer on that one. Maybe you're buying them for your own girl and you couldn't say amen. But anyway, all of the things that they said I had to get rid of, I got rid of and felt wonderful about it. And I want to tell you something. I got more than a plain exterior. I touched a living God who gave me an experience that went from the top of my head to the soles of my feet and I didn't want to go back to the world another time. Did you get it that way? I knew nothing about old-time salvation. This was a bootleg era. I was right in the swing of what young people were doing smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, along with everything else that went with it. And the minute that I got on my face before God, and said, Lord, I'm sick and tired of the way I'm living. If you'll give me something real, I don't care what I look like. God gave me a dose of old time salvation, and I never wanted another cigarette. I wasn't sanctified, I was saved. And I never went back to the movies. We had to go downtown then. You have them in the front room today. But I never even went downtown to see the movie. The old things passed away. And beloved, we're not saved until we get something in our heart that's bigger than what shows on the outside. He said, you beware of external religion and then he spoke about the sadducees now the sadducees did not believe in any supernatural religion they said there's no spirit and there's no angel and there's no resurrection they were the original show me boys i'll believe it if i can understand it show it to me prove it to me well, you can't prove all-time salvation, you know. But listen to me with both your ears. when God Almighty has His way in a service, there will be supernatural manifestations of the Holy Ghost that man with all His wisdom cannot explain. I wish somebody would try to do what that boy did last night and leave the choir and jump over the highest part of the wall and keep right on going. I know what would happen to my poor old legs. Mm -hmm. God specializes in the supernatural that cannot be understood by carnal men. And when God Almighty moves into a church he upsets everything that man can manufacture and handle and control and he moves in with the uncontrollable unexplainable moving of god the third person of the trinity and the word goes out over the wires say they're really having a meeting down there at old Hope they really cut up last night won't cost you a cent to go, and here they come. And if there's enough of God, you know what happens, don't you? In our old pilgrim church in Binghamton, New York, when it was still a mission, many, many in that uh, mission had been recruited from the ranks of the fallen girls and the drunkard, but God was moving. Moving until many times, the neighbors called in the police and said, stop it. The police stood and looked over that uh, crazy acting crowd and said, I didn't start it and I'm not going to stop it, you stop it. (laughs) But there was one precious woman there. Oh, you'd have to see her to really appreciate it. The first time I looked at her, I thought, she must be an old maid. Nobody could look that way without being an old maid, but she wasn't. She was married. She was very, very tall, very thin, bony thin. Long, thin face, little tiny bit of hair pulled right up in the top of her head in a little bun so big. Just a little tiny thing enough to get a couple of little pins in to hold it there. Long sleeve dress. She was a holiness woman and uh, Decent length on her skirts. And every now and then, God would bless her. Well, now you know she paid a price for that blessing. We do, you know, when we get blessed. It doesn't fall out of the, a cloud that's passing over the tabernacle. We pay a price before we get blessed. And she had been working in a cigar factory when God saved her. Right out of the rough. And God said, Louise, you can't make cigars and be my child. No social security in those days. Nobody to support you if you're out of work, you know. She said, Lord, if you don't want me working here, I'm through right now. And she went out and walked the streets trying to find a job. Until most of her money was gone and friends and relatives were up in arms. And she never bowed an inch. And then God moved in and took care of her. She paid a big enough price that God could trust her with a blessing. And every now and then, God would come on her, and they had uh, chairs. Not as heavy as these chairs, but good-sized chairs. And she'd get blessed and begin moving. I can still see her. She'd just begin to wiggle. Long, skinny hands, long, skinny arms. And when you saw her coming, you just sort of shoved away because you never knew when that long hand was going to come down and take a hold of the top of your head and and go this way. And if you had anything that was loose, she loosened it. Wouldn't she have a time in our crowd today? (laughs) Wigs going in all directions. They'd be sweeping up more than hairpins after she got through today. But she'd begin to move and leave her seat. Out in the aisle, walk up to the front and grab a chair. Never look. Now, God was on her. You try it if you don't believe it. Grab a chair and just toss that chair up toward the altar and it would sit right there in that altar. Never fall. She wasn't through. She'd keep going around and grab another one and give it a toss and it would land on top of that one. Stay right there until Louise has piled them from the altar as high as she could toss them. They stood right there. You try it. And people came to see the woman who could pile chairs and they'd never topple over. Explain it, there's no explanation but God. The things that God uses to get a hold of the world are supernatural things. And when we put our hand on the supernatural, we're stopping Holy Ghost revivals. Some of our children, God help us, have never seen too much demonstration. Sister McFadden a few years ago was right in this tabernacle. She said, Amen. And a great big boy somewhere in his teens turned around and looked and went, Holiness Boy from the Holiness Church. Where have we been? We've been shortchanging our children. Why the cults out there can give them a good line. And false religions can give them a good line, but they can never give them the manifestations of God, the Holy Ghost, and supernatural power. That's what makes us different. We were holding a meeting up in Pennsylvania, and we were to go to a church near a Bible school from this meeting. Some of the folks came to us and they said, uh, you're really preaching it hard here, but... When you get down there to such and such a city where the college is, you won't be so hot. And when they left, they said, we're coming to see. Well, there's only one message. College or no college. You preach the same anywhere you go with your gods. And after the college heads found out that we weren't poisonous and we weren't going to devour the children, they allowed them to come over two or three times. They got in the meeting and lined up all several rows of students from the college going out to be ministers. There was a little tiny ripple of blessing it was wasn't enough to scare anybody. Just a few little "Amen"s and "Bless the Lord" and a few people put their hand up and very nicely and genteelly they were getting blessed. Scared the daylights out of those ministerial students. They turned around and they looked at us and some of them were actually pale and one girl looked and she was trembling and her mouth was shaking and she was just terrified beyond holding it somebody said amen in church and somebody else had put their hand up. and i smiled at her with all the false teeth i had to make her know that somebody was on her side And she kept her eye on me until meeting was over and came back and said well I I was never in anything like this before. Holiness College, they're all going out in the Lord's work. She said, if you hadn't smiled at me, I think I'd have dropped dead. We've sure changed our young people. You know the best legacy you could leave to your youth is the legacy of the memory of a church where God walked the aisles and blessed his people where the young and the old were merged together in spiritual blessing not in everything because god himself separates youth from old age but when it came to god and the blessing there were no lines of demarcation and the old and the young stood together with their hands in the air and their faces radiant and they shouted and they cried and they stood by the preaching The years go by and some of those youngsters drift away, but memory walks every mile of their life with them. They remember the shining face that they used to see back there in the old church when God was blessing his people. Don't try to have the kind of a religion you have to understand. God talked against such a religion. Then there was the... A woman, the Herodians, whose entire religion was a religion of the world. It could be compressed into just a few words. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may be dead. And you've heard the poor, foolish little nitwits in the church today. After they've heard a tremendous message on judgment or hell or the terrors of God, who'll shrug their shoulders and push their hair back from their face and say, oh, well, if I go to hell, I'll have a lot of company. It drink, and be merry. We're only young ones. That was what God, through Jesus, was warning his people against. Beware of this thing. Beware of this thing. Well, Sister Miller, how close can I come to the world and not lose God? You can't come anywhere near it. Did you hear me? You can't come anywhere near it. But my, my children are young, they have to have, they don't need a thing but God. And don't you come to me afterwards and tell me that it's an old maid speaking. We have been associated with young people for about 40 or 45 years. And we have some of the grown-up young people over here in the corner from New York will testify that in our entire district, the young people are our friends. They'll stand by us because we've stood by them. We've never compromised with them an inch. We've said to them, you've got to leave the world and cut from the world and come out and stand against the world and be filled with Almighty God if you're ever going to make it to heaven. And young people like the challenge. And they stand up to the challenge and say, if this thing's real, this is what I want. I'm sick of this uh, namby-pamby-fooling-around around pussyfooting kind of church. You notice in our camp meeting right here when the blessing falls, it's fallen a little, it's going to follow more, fall more. So be warned. Dig in your feet and tie down your anchor. Things are going to happen. God is hearing and answering prayer. But you notice and you look around and watch it. When the blessing of God falls, the young people begin to come up and shine turn their faces toward heaven just like the sunflower does toward the sun and the old people who have not minded God are going to sit back there and fuss because they couldn't hear enough preaching when they've been preached to death for 50 or 60 years and still are walking behind light. Brother, the greatest preaching we could have in the church is the falling of the power of the Holy Ghost. And he'll come if we want him to. But I stayed too long on that, didn't I? All right, I'm going to leave out the middle and jump toward the end of the message. Aren't you glad? Try to connect, will you? Leaven. What is leaven? What is leaven? According to, not the Bible, but according to the dictionary, leaven is that that inflates by producing gases that will take a flat object and inflate it far out of proportion to itself until it thinks it's something that it isn't. Now, you won't find exactly that definition word for word, but that's what it means. You say that isn't the meaning at all. Now, wait a minute. If your mother ever made bread, oh, I can still remember my mother making bread. yet I like that. She always had yeast. Am I right? Could you make very good bread without yeast? No. Yeast is leaven. Now what does the yeast do? When the warm water gets on it and it begins to work and it's mixed in with the flour and the flour is patted way down and there's hardly any, the yeast begins working and the flour begins to be inflated. Now, some of you got it and some of you didn't. So we'll break it down and go all over it again. Leaven in, in religious terms is old-fashioned carnality. Oh, I thought at least somebody would say amen. Don't you believe it? Sure you do. And carnality works in the church just like old-fashioned yeast. Works in the flour. It gets in there among the good meal of God's people. But you see, by the very nature of living, it has to get bigger and bigger. And if anything's in the way, it'll just roll right over it and incorporate it, and the whole thing will begin to swell and swell and swell. Now you're beginning to look intelligent. You know what I mean, don't you? That old leaven in the church gets all out of proportion until you have some boy coming in off the street and getting religion and asking for the pulpit the next night. Not too much response on that one. And you have a girl going to the altar and getting religion full of leaven. Who says, now, I don't think Sister Basham is really right on tune. And if you don't mind, I'll sing the solo tonight. I'm talking about something that's all out of proportion. Now, come on, you're not that stupid, are you? You know what I mean. Until finally we end up with a church full of everything but people to fill the seats. Everybody wants a a chair in the platform and after a while you have all generals and no soldiers and all Indians, and no cowboys. Everybody's got to be in the forefront because leaven, leaven. How did that leaven get in among the meal? The meal's the good, the meal's the church. How'd that leaven get there? I hate to say this, but it's biblical. A woman put it there. That's what the Bible says. A woman put it there. You know why I think, of course, we know that that could be either man or woman, but you know what I, I like to kind of think this out loud when there's men in the congregation? Perhaps it was translated woman because woman can make most men do just about anything she wants them to do. And all the women did not say amen. Because you wouldn't want your husband to think that you believe that. But you know it is so. You have your little tricks and you get around and you get what you want out of that poor stupid husband of yours. You know it. And he thinks it's all his own idea, not knowing you planted the seed. Oh, a woman is sly. She is. And without God, she's deceitful, just like you men. And here a woman took this leaven and hid it. Now, in your church, I don't suppose it's as big as Hobson, I know ours isn't. If you saw somebody coming in to your church with no toes in the shoes and walking teeter-totter because their heels were so high with bleached hair or a wig, sleeveless dress, every evidence of the world at its worst. And she came in and said, now I want to join your church. Would it be worth it to take her in? Would you take her in your church? Come on now, would you? Of course you wouldn't. But you know it's possible for carnality to come in in the person of a professor? You don't realize what's coming into your church? And the sly, deceitful, poisonous thing is working in that woman's bosom. She comes in looking like we are, talking like we do, using our shibboleths. Why, we say, my, that's wonderful, putting money in for her tithe, offering to work around the church, and later you found out that all this this disquiet and unrest and agitation that was going through your congregation stemmed right from that woman who looked so holy, who had hidden the leaven among the meal. Only takes one. And once that leaven, oh, that's why we need God the Holy Ghost. That's why a preacher should never be in the pulpit without knowing he's sanctified holy. Only God can detect these things. You can go to school all your life and never detect the spirits. But when God, the Holy Ghost, is on you, you know some things when you don't have any reason for knowing what you know. And God is saying, now be careful. There's danger there. There's poison there. But only God sees it for a while. And when this thing has finally been disseminated among the congregation and we see little outbreakings here and little mutterings there and little agitations there it's too late then to do anything about it once you take yeast and mix it in with the flour you cannot get it out without spoiling the flour it has to stay there until something bigger than the yeast and bigger than the flour can kill the working of it You're following me, aren't you? There isn't a preacher big enough to do it. There isn't a school big enough to do it. There isn't a church big enough to do it. It takes a mighty manifestation of God the Holy Ghost, but he'll do it and reveal what is wrong. And if we wait before him long enough and earnestly enough, he'll rectify it. But it takes the fire of the Holy Ghost Now, time's going around there so fast. I do want to tell you this. Did you get what I'm trying to tell you this afternoon, that leaven, old carnality is wrong? How many of you got the idea? I think you did, didn't you? Then why don't you get rid of it? Now, this is the thing. I'm serious. This is the thing that bothers me. And hope sounds year after year the same sacred. In our revivals over the country, year after year, the same seekers, why don't we get sanctified holy? Why do we always seek? Why are we hanging back? Is that why we have so little power? I'm afraid it is. I'm afraid it is. But we're in Binghamton years ago now, years ago. After the service one... Sunday morning, one of the women said, no, we have planned for you to come home with us for the noon meal today. Sister McFadgen and I went along with her and found out that she was running a rest home for old people long before they became as commonplace as they are today. We sat at the table and ate with the old people and one little old lady came in there well over 90. She had her little white hair pulled back in a ball She had the sweetest little house dress on with her neck way up here, you know, and a little ruffle around here, and a belt around her thin little waist, and her face just shining. We'd never seen her before, but we knew who she was, one of our sisters. And we said, uh, do you get up to church anymore? Oh, no, she said, "I, I can't go to church. I just don't have the strength. But she said, I have church in my own room." We knew she did. All you had to do was look at her, you knew that. And after we'd finished eating and they cleaned off the table and everybody was gone, the three of us sat there around the table talking. We'd found common ground and which to me. She well over 90, we were just young at that time. And all of a sudden she began to laugh. She said, girls, you know, some folks still call us girls. We love it, but we were really girls then. And she said, girls, I want to tell you something. We've been talking about carnality and the lack of power in the church and so forth. She said, way back, now remember, she's over 90. She said, when I was just a girl, we were living on a homestead and far away from neighbors and from the storm. And word came to my mother that her sister was very, very ill and she must go to her. I was the older of the children, like little stair steps. My father was working out for one of the farmer's cross lots in order to bring in the money we needed to live. And uh, when I got home from school that day, mother had already gone, and my father said to me, now I'm talking the way she did. My father said to me, daughter, do you think that you could take care of the house while mother's gone? Oh yes, she said, I can do it. I've watched the way mother did it. Well, he said, that's fine. Now you get the children ready and get them to bed while she got along fine. They got up and they had their breakfast the next morning. And he said again, now daughter, I'm taking my lunch with me to work today and I have taken the last bit of bread, no store to go to, you know, to get bread, miles from anybody, nobody to help her. He said, do you suppose that you could make bread? Oh, she said, of course I can. There's nothing to it. She said, I've watched Mother, and I've seen all she did. Oh, yes, she said, I'll make bread. So her father went off to work. She went up to the old wood pile, and she got the smaller sticks of wood to make the fire good and hot. And she built up the fire in the old black range. She got out the flour and she got a big pan. And her mother used to use the old metal dish pan and put a tea cover over it. So she got that out and she poured some flour in. She said, oh, that doesn't look like enough. I think I better pour some more in. So she poured some more in. And she fixed up the yeast and she poured the yeast in. My, she said, that doesn't look like enough yeast either. I'm sure Mother used more than that. So she went and she mixed up another big dose and she got that ready and she poured that in. And then she stirred it and she said, that's awful soupy. I think it needs more flour. So she poured some more flour in and she stirred and she stirred. And finally it looked sticky enough that she thought it was right. So she put it over in the little corner where her mother usually put it to rise, took the clean teak cloth and spread it over, and kept the fire going. Then she went around working, waiting for this thing to come up. She came back in through the kitchen. The thing was up. It was running down over the sides of the pan. Quickly, she took off the towel and she punched it down with her little fist as far as it would go. But she couldn't seem to get it down very far, but she, she pushed all she could, set it back. She said, "No, I know mother. Let it raise twice. So she put it back and put the towel over it and went around doing the rest of the work and came back and it had run over the side. It was running down onto the table where it was sitting. Oh my, she thought, this is terrible. When she took the cover off here, it was way up over the pan and running. Oh my, she said, I'd better make two batches out of this. So quick, she got the butcher knife and she cut the, the thing in two and took part of the dough and put it in another pan, put the first part back in the same pan and punched it down down the other dough and set them back. She said, I better let them raise again. They look pretty flat and they began to raise. She came out and they were running over both. Oh, she said, I must have done something wrong. So she did the same thing. She cut them in half again and she got some more containers and she put them in and she put them back. Now she said, I'll let it raise one more time. She ended up, she had bread dough everywhere. Nothing else to put it in but that time the fire was down she ran quick up to the wood pond and she got chips and she put the chips in and got a roaring fire and then she took some of the original batch and she did like her mother did rolled it around you know and put it in the pans and all the time she's looking and the other stuff is rolling over and rolling and coming and coming and she filled up all the pans that her mother usually filled and she put them in the oven how do you think the leaven liked the fire No more than carnality like praying through. If we were in the oven and we could hear, I imagine that bread began to swell, you know, and got right up there. Oh, this nice hot oven. This is just what I like. It's getting hotter. Finally, one yelled off at the other and said, say, don't you think this is kind of a hot place to be in? Sure do. Can we get out? No, the door's closed. We have to stay here. It's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And finally that old leaven, can you hear him, began to yell, help, help, I'm dying. Well, isn't that what we want when we're praying to be sanctified holy? Don't we want to die? But about the time the fire gets hot, the seeker isn't here, he's gone home. There's a late television show he's got to see. Then they said, well, I saw it and I never got it. You have to get in a place where God shuts the door and doesn't let you out. And after a while, the last people cry, help. And not a word is heard. The one cooking watches the clock. After a while, opens the door and looks in. Touches them. Mmm, wonderful. Brings them out. Not a loaf says a word. Leaven's gone. hmm Come on, you're not that slow. You know what I'm talking about. Pull them out of the nice, comfortable oven now. Uh, take them in and put them in the pantry, maybe ice cold. And then somebody comes in and says, hmm. and this takes me back when I did it. Could I have a piece of that hot bread with some butter? And it's too hot to cut and so Mom would pull it. And the bread never said, out. Ouch. And it cooled and she took the knife and she sliced it and it never said, help! The leaven was dead. If I could find a church full of people whose leaven was dead, I'd pastor it the rest of my life. But to use Brother Heron's elegant English, there ain't no such thing. Every church has leaven. All right, back to the little old lady. She's cooked her bread, taken it out, looks lovely, looks lovely but she has pan after pan of dough rolling over the edge of the pans. What's she going to do? It's a poor family. She's wasted the yeast. She's wasted the flour. What's she going to do? Her father's coming home. She went out to get some sticks to make the fire, to get the evening meal, and she saw the wood pile, and it dawned on her what she could do. Quick as a wink, she got on top of that wood pile, and she began throwing wood pieces in all directions and made a hole right down in the middle of the pile. Yeah, just what you think it is. She went back in and she brought out pan after pan and scraped the pans and dumped all that dough right down in that hole. And then quick, she threw all the sticks back and covered it up and piled the sticks all over and went in and started getting daddy's supper. And the sun was shining. Mm -hmm. You can't bury carnality. You can't bury it deep enough now. And the sun was shining, it was a nice warm summer afternoon. The sun shone right down on that wood pile. Just about time for her father to come home. And she thought, I would better get a few chips now and just heat the stove right up and have things hot when he comes in. So she ran out quick to get some chips and oh, that dough had come up and up. I told you that was a gaseous something. All right, take it from there. And the thing had been bigger and bigger and a stick shot up here and a stick shot up there and a big white mass began to come up over the top of the wood pile with a stick sticking out in it. She said, I stood there and I looked at that and I looked down the road and my father was coming and then she stopped and we said, and what happened she said let's draw a veil over what happened and she never did tell us what happened I can imagine can't you you know the whole trouble with her she used too much leaven may I be mean and say the whole trouble with some people they have too much leaven but God's in the business of killing carnality if we dare let him if we dare let him. Sister Duck was reading and, and uh, praying and so forth the other day in, in her room and she gave us this that God gave to her. Let me read it to you. Having a holiness church with unholy members is like having an American army with Russian soldiers. Is't that right? Having a holiness church with unholy members is like a police force with a convict in uniform. Having a holiness church with unholy members is like having a health camp operated by lepers. How many of you are full of leaven you know God knows and I imagine your church knows stand up please I don't want to take for the heritage of holiness that has been-
0: It's been past little